0: or toll free at 888-382-7502 you're on the line with Noah Gardner and
1: Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama happy Thursday everybody Lance how's your Thursday going
2: great Noah although I hate how essentially all week it's just been either raining or it looks like it's about to rain and Right now, we got some rain going on outside. It's just kind of been a drowsy week, but outside of that, really productive here at ESPN 1067.
1: It's a rainy Thursday. We've reached that point now. It seems like the calendar flips over to June, and you get those summer afternoon showers, a little thunder in the sky but still it could be 20 minutes from now we're looking at sunny sunny skies right right i, right. I doubt it with the way that the trajectory of the weather is going today but well we actually
2: i looked at the weather earlier and it's like it should be cleared out in about a couple hours it cool. should be fine so here we Maybe go we can get
1: out on the golf course in a couple hours then. yes sir <laughs> Well, we appreciate everybody joining us on the Thursday edition of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama, as well as you're able to watch it on Facebook on Radio Alabama Sports. You definitely should go and check out what we got going on there. Updated interface and everything. Worked out some of the bugs from yesterday, and uh, it's cruising along. At least that's what Jacob says from behind the controls. So it's cruising along right now here on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page as well. I want to open up the show today with an idea that you came up with, and I kind of want you to explain it a little bit, but it seems like based on some of the calls that we've been getting, this might be a fun exercise to do, so take it away, Lance. Yeah,
2: so I've just been looking at some quarterback rankings over the past day or so, and I was taking a look at Athlon and where they rank quarterback rooms in the SEC, and I was looking at Auburn, and I started to think, like, who would I have starting at quarterback over Bo Nix if I had the choice between all SEC started quarterbacks then I was like well if there was one specific quarterback that I wanted to take from the SEC over Bo Nix who would it be so I just kind of had that thought we you could-, could
1: replace Bo Nix with a quarterback in the southeastern conference who would you take and I think you have to take into account several factors here more than just one year I'm also taking into account what year they are in terms of eligibility could I get a younger player could I get a Bryce Young that still has so many years of playing time four years of playing time at Alabama right now also scheme fits something else you have to take into account Auburn and JT Daniels might be a match made in heaven under Brian Harson, but Auburn and Gus Malzon with JT Daniels Mm-mm. might not have been
2: no it would have not so you got to take you got to take scheme into account with this new regime with Harson and whenever you look at the top guys in the SEC and we ranked quarterbacks I believe it was the 1st of June this year we ranked our top 5 quarterbacks in the SEC and I obviously I put JT Daniels at number 1 and I put Bryce Young at number 2 and Matt Corral at number 3 whoever starts for LSU at number 4 and then I had Bo Nix at number 5 I think out of all of these guys Scheme-wise, I would take any of those top three. I would take JT Daniels, Bryce Young, or Matt Corral. They can all throw it around the yard. They all have that—or rather, Bryce Young and Corral have that dual threat ability— and you look at Bo Nix, it's like, well, he can run the ball a little bit too. And it's like, well, wouldn't you want to have that in another quarterback as well? It's like, it looks like Corral's doing it pretty well at Ole Miss. I believe he ran for over 500 yards and four and a half yards a pop last year. You look at Bryce Young in his short amount of time that we got to see him last year in garbage time and then the spring game for Alabama this year, he looked pretty solid. And, you know, I've talked about scheme and situation and track record with Alabama. It's like, well, you, you look at this program, they develop quarterbacks, at least the, at the collegiate level, pretty well. So if I was gonna to go for an Alabama quarterback over Bo Nix I'd probably take him even though I've only seen limited action from him but I think the number one guy I've got to go with JT Daniels like you said it's a match made in heaven with this new pro style offense that Brian Harson's going to be putting in I mean JT Daniels had his issues last season kind of missed on some throws late we saw in that Cincinnati game there were definitely he, he's he's not underdeveloped but there were some raw moments where it's like okay well he needs a full off season to kind of get into if in, into swing and you know, last season, he didn't have that. He was, he was coming off that injury. He was thrown into the fire late in the season, and he performed really well. Give him a full offseason with Brian Harson, and he would do really, really well. So JT Daniels has to be n- my number one guy.
1: You know why we think JT Daniels is that prototypical Georgia quarterback? You know why we think that? Why? We think that because of Mike Bobo. Mike Bobo was the OC at Georgia from 2007 to 2014. Prior to that, he was the quarterback coach. At Georgia from 2001 to 2006 he coached Matthew Stafford he coached Aaron Murray he coached Hudson Mason he coached all of those quarterbacks who I don't want to call statues because not all of them were Matthew Stafford was but not all of them were just by the book statue pocket passers but they're your prototypical big arm accurate pro style quarterback giant human beings extremely tall dudes JT Daniels is that And so I agree with you. In terms of scheme fit, Bobo recruited that Georgia quarterback room to look like players like JT Daniels in terms of their play style. That offense has now come to Auburn
2: yeah that's right and again it's not saying it's not a knock on young or corral or johnson or even nicks it's just that jt daniels has proven over the course of those four or five games that he played that he can be consistent and he will not turn the ball over 10 touchdowns to two interceptions that's something that Nix has struggled with a little bit at times not making the right decision and i know jt daniels did have his moments again he had his moments in that cincinnati game but this but he seems more polished than bo nicks even though he's not played as much as bo nicks and you give you give JT Daniels again, you give him enough time in an, uh, with an offseason with Harson, he could be a really, really good fit. He could be focused and having fun and could be a dark horse for the Heisman at Hopper.
1: For those folks out there just now tuning in, wondering what we're talking about, JT Daniels in an orange and blue jersey, Lance, remind everybody what where this discussion came from
2: you and i are currently discussing which quarterback from the southeastern conference would we rather have starting at auburn over bo Nix, and why exactly if we want that if we could replace him obviously we got a, we got a starting quarterback on the roster from another school in tj finley but i would rather have somebody like jt daniels bryce young matt corral those would be my top three guys i wouldn't be mad at any of those picks if i had to choose a guy though it's got to be daniels
1: I would avoid Bryce Young in this hypothetical situation if we're like redrafting quarterbacks in the entire SEC. I would avoid Bryce Young if he was on the draft board. And my reasoning for that, we don't know how he would fit scheme-wise in a Brian Harson offense that does appear, and a Mike Bobo offense, that does appear to avoid running quarterbacks. Doesn't appear to run their quarterbacks a whole lot. And we haven't seen enough yet of Bryce Young at Alabama to know which style does this player favor. Does he favor his running ability and his athleticism a little bit more than staying in the pocket and tossing the ball around the yard? We just don't know enough about that yet. So I, I don't even know if Bryce Young would be a scheme fit in this hypothetical situation. So I would avoid him. I haven't given my selection yet. You went JT Daniels. I'm sticking with my QB rankings. And you had JT Daniels at the top of your QB rankings as well, right? I did. I'm sticking with mine. Matt Corral would be the guy that I would take. I love the blend of athleticism, except he doesn't rely on his athleticism. Instead, it accentuates his skill set at Ole Miss as a passer. It allows him to move around the pocket relatively effortlessly, but also if nothing's working for him downfield he can extend the play with his legs keep his eyes downfield make a throw on the run but on top of that he's also got the ability to tuck it and hurt you on the ground I like that perfect blend and I think that that can be accentuated in a Mike Bobo or a Brian Harsin like offense Matt Corral would be the ideal quarterback that I would love to see come to Auburn one day I'm not saying that Matt Corral himself would come to Auburn because obviously that's not in the cards but I'm saying players like Matt Corral would be an excellent addition to the Auburn program in the future.
2: I know this might sound harsh, but Matt Corral is what we thought Bonix could be, especially in years. Say two. that in
1: the past tense, I still think he could become that. Maybe it, not to the degree of passing yards or touchdowns, not to that volume. But I do think that his passing game can increase to the point where it's at least lethal.
2: That's what I was about to say. And I, I've, I've, I've churned. I I used, I wasn't a Bo Nix hater, but I was definitely a skeptic. And now I'm buying into him for a third time. I'm saying, <laughs> okay, you know what? With a, with another scheme change, I'll buy into Bo Nix. I'll buy into this coaching staff. I'll trust their ability to make this kid better. And that's what I was about to say is while statistically Bo Nix may never reach what Mal- Matt Corral is doing at Ole Miss... I think he can become better and can become more like Corral in the fact that they, can, they they both are very athletic, but Bo Nix tends to rely on that athleticism a little too much compared to Corral. He'll scramble out of the pocket whenever he doesn't need to. He'll drift and throw the ball away whenever he doesn't need to. He's looking to run, and I think part of that had to do with his offensive line, but I think that's going to get better this year. I think they're going to make him sit in that pocket and throw the ball downfield and then run it whenever you need to, and you'll get up to 500 yards and four and a half yards a pop. Obviously, Bo Nix can reach pay dirt. We saw seven touchdowns on the ground from him in last year, and we saw that run against Texas A&M. He can make those moments happen, but I need to see a little bit more from him in the pocket, more comfortable throwing the ball downfield. He can become like Corral, but again, he's what, he's, Matt Corral is what we thought Bo Nix would be, and I'm not saying that Nix will never become that. He could but right now thought
1: he would be right now
2: right now if i had to choose corral over nicks i would choose corral over nicks i choose jt daniels over Knicks.
1: but it took an offensive coordinator a head coach change for matt corral to
2: take off like he did right right we could see the same thing with nicks it could make he could he could uh, and, and this is again joking but he could literally focus more on the things that he has to focus more on get that pocket passing ability down enjoy what you're doing and not be a dark dark horse for the Heisman but make a <laughs> statistical jump make this team better this is what you are brought on to do you're a five former five-star quarterback make this team better I think Nick's has the potential to do that but if we're talking about right now I would choose Corral or JT Daniels.
1: And the thing about Corral is he has such a high volume of pass attempts. He had some of the most pass attempts in the entire Southeastern Conference last year, yet he ranks statistically at the top of the SEC in completion percentage at 70.9%. That is Drew Brees-esque.
2: It's really, really solid. And you, 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 you can look at the scheme at Ole Miss and you can say, well, they throw the ball around the yard a lot. Well, if you're, if you're completing those passes at a 70, 70% clip and you're one of the best passing offenses in the country, you're doing something right. You're not just throwing the ball around. You're not like Mississippi State's air raid you're a lot better than that. And I trust Matt Corral if he's making those decisions, I know he threw six picks in a, in a game last year. I don't think it's going to happen this year. I think he moved on from those mistakes. Outside
1: of those six picks, though, he's averaging less than an interception per game.
2: Right. He was incredibly efficient outside those two games where he just he just flopped. Again, 3300 passing yards, 29 touchdowns, 14 picks. He had four touchdowns on the ground. I believe it's 500 586 yards on the ground no 506 yards on the ground and four and a half yards per carry dude was efficient outside of those two games where he just continued to make mistakes he was efficient he was a really good quarterback leading a really good offense and completing passes at a very high clip
1: the question I want to ask you here then is how much did the Ole Miss offense benefit from the SEC being down defensively you look at the teams that Ole Miss beat Kentucky 42 to 41 I would say that that Kentucky team last year was lower on the rankings if I had to rank every single Mark Stoops team of the last five years that went to bowl games I would say that was one of the worst Kentucky teams we've seen over the last four or five years they beat Vanderbilt 54 to 21 South Carolina 59 to 42 one of the worst South Carolina teams we can remember Mississippi State 31 to 24 another down Mississippi State team compared to recent memory and they beat Indiana Indiana's a solid win there but It was without Michael Penix Jr. who was hurt and it was with a backup QB and they win that game 26 to 20. They still lose to an LSU team that was getting hot at the right time 53 to 48. They lost to Auburn. They lost to Arkansas, Alabama, and Florida. They lost all the good teams barring even Arkansas who's just below average. They lost all the good teams. It really only beat all of the bad
2: teams I think that's a fair point and that's what I was about to say about Indiana it's like well that's easily the best win on their record and or yeah easily the best win on the record in my opinion but they didn't have their starting quarterback and Indiana does not put up 20 points if they have their starting quarterback in the game they win but they win that game and I don't want to say handily but they would win that game I think Ole Miss definitely did benefit from the SEC being down defensively last season you look at the numbers that that the conference put up across the board and you look at Ole Miss 312 yards passing per game allowed that was 13th in the country but then you look at some of these teams that were a little bit better at defending the pass and they were only like 63rd to 70th nationally look at Auburn they were fourth best in the conference and that was good for 79th nationally this conference did not play well defensively last year and I think Ole Miss did benefit a little bit from that but the question is is that is that the precedent is that what we're setting moving forward is that just how the conference is going to play I don't know I don't think so I think a lot of it had to do with COVID and not getting enough practice in but I think Ole Miss still offensively is good. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that they're bad because they, they played they played good against bad competition, but I think they can be good moving forward, but it will kind of even out now that these def- defenses have a full off season to develop.
1: The rebuttal to that is, of course, and I'm about to ask you this question, which you're already going into a little bit, will the SEC even improve defensively? How much did the coronavirus and the lack of a spring, and really the lack of a summer and, and, and an abbreviated fall camp, how did that impact defenses in the conference last year and will we see an improvement of that because the sec started playing football earlier than all the other power five conferences they started at the same time as the big 12 and the acc those two conferences started a week earlier because they were playing non-conference schedules but still they started on the same timetable how much did the coronavirus impact the sec or did it have no impact whatsoever?
2: I think we're going to have to wait one or two seasons to, to have an official answer for that, because we've watched the conference shift slowly towards a pass-oriented, offense-focused league. But last season, it took a big jump, in my opinion. But moving forward, I think you got to give it one, one, one or two more years to officially solidify that answer and say, OK, the SEC is just going to be the Big 12 now and be terrible at defense. Or who knows? Now that now that COVID is over, we may see the the conference shift back to a more defense defensive minded league. But again, we we don't know that. We don't have enough information to gauge whether or not it's true either way. I would hope that they get their stuff together and they start to play a little bit more defense because I don't as an SEC homer and as an Auburn homer, I don't want the Big Twelve or the Big Ten to have have reason to attack us and say, "Well, you're the Big Twelve now. You don't play defense, huh?"
1: How about start winning national championships then? That would be nice. (laughs)
2: If if you could actually keep up with us, that would be pretty, pretty fun.
1: Because SEC defenses, and you go and look at the national championship, and Terry brings this up a lot. He says, you know, you you don't win national championships anymore on defense alone. If that was the case, Georgia would be winning national championships at Mm -hmm. the clip that Alabama is. Alabama has even shifted their scheme and the way that they approach the game of football. Nick Saban has talked about this in interviews. He's talked about the slant now favors offense more than the slant favors defense, at least in the in the way that they recruit. And you go and look at the way that they recruit. You, you talk about the high-profile players that are coming through the door, at quarterback, wide receiver, and running back. Almost every single recruiting class, there is a core of those players every single year, and they're some of the highest-profile players in the country. Five years ago, six years ago, prior to Jalen Hurts, Alabama quarterbacks were game managers. Now they're putting up gaudy numbers, and they're in the Heisman race. Things have changed dramatically in college football. And the SEC, though, is still bringing, on average, much better defenses than those conferences. And those conferences still lag behind on the offensive side of the ball. The class of player in the SEC is still so much higher Than everywhere else in college football
2: and I hope statistically it'll start to shift back to where it's more normal where where you see these defensive numbers go down and you can see offensive numbers hopefully stay where they're at because again the SEC the like you said the caliber of player compared to other conferences as far as recruiting goes is absurd
1: on the other side of this break, we'll come back, talk about our super regional predictions as they get started tomorrow. We'll pick that throughout the show here. We'll take a look at a couple of games coming up here on On The Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner at Landsdawn, on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334 321 1390 We want to hear from you. What's ever on your mind in the sports world? call in 334-321-1390 super regionals begin tomorrow at the NCAA baseball tournament we're going to give you our predictions here on the Thursday edition of on the line going to tell you who we think are going to Omaha NC State Arkansas As we start in the upper left corner of the bracket Arkansas that national seed at the top number one overall national seed NC State a two-seed coming out of the Rustin Regional, they collide NC State, one of the hottest teams in baseball right now, 17 and 4 in their last 21 games, scoring 8 runs per game over that stretch, and it's not against slouch competition. It's against teams that have been ranked in the top 25 this year in the Rustin Regional. They were throwing up some gaudy numbers. But on the flip side, the team has a 4.91 ERA. Do they have enough to hang with the Razorbacks? What do we think? Jacob, from behind the board, joining us in this segment as well, our in-house baseball guy, time to give our predictions. Jacob, you start with it.
3: I mean, I think Arkansas will handle business pretty easily. I think NC State could make some noise if they they kind of do what Nebraska did and neutralize the Arkansas bats. But I think that Arkansas just has too much firepower, and anytime they get in any kind of – jam defensively just call the cops kevin Copps is the best player in college baseball this year and i don't think it's particularly close i think that kevin cops can pitch three times in a weekend and they will do it if necessary they probably don't want to throw him too much on the first day have him ready for the crucial games two and three but if they need to they'll let him throw 20 pitches and then he'll go out and throw 90 pitches the next day
1: Lance
2: yeah i i agree with jacob here whenever you look at the the competition that arkansas had to face it it was tough and i know like you mentioned it wasn't slouch competition that nc state was going up against you saw louisiana tech's first game they won 18 to 2 before they went and faced nc state but I, i i'm gonna go with arkansas here i have a really hard time picking against the sec after seeing that competition the most this year and just seeing how talented these teams have been arkansas obviously like jacob mentioned has a really talented pitching core and it starts with cops i don't see nc state taking this series i just i don't i don't see a way i know they're hot right now but i've got to go with arkansas
1: arkansas this season we talk about nc state's ability to hit the baseball but arkansas's pitching staff led by cops is one of the best pitching staffs in all of college baseball and you compare the two here nc state's coming in with a 4.91 era Arkansas on the flip side held opponents to three and a half runs per game in their regional and it was a relatively tough regional talk about drawing the Big Ten champion Nebraska playing really solid baseball at the end of the year they've been battle tested already I think even more so than NC State has up to this point and NC State cruised through Rustin. so when I look at the two class of styles here, but Arkansas's no slouch at the plate either. These guys are averaging seven and a half runs per game. Big difference. Arkansas knows how to pitch. NC State doesn't. This is where, this is where the dream ends for the, for the Wolfpack.
3: I mean, Cops is just honestly incredible. I mean, I pulled out the stats. He has 31 appearances this season. He is 12-0 without a start. He's 12-0 and without a start, and he also has 11 saves. That is an insane stat line, a .68 ERA. That dude, untouchable. It's it's incredible, and I think I think Auburn when they faced them earlier in the season, it was one of those things that game one they won, I think very low scoring game two to one, and Cops came in and I think he struck out nine straight batters, and that that just shows you what kind of firepower he has, and it, it goes throughout the whole uh, pitching staff on Arkansas. I, I really think that Arkansas is going to make a lot of noise in Omaha this year
1: stanford virginia tech the super regional in lubbock as the red raiders host the stanford cardinal who were pushed to the very brink of the end of their season by uc irvine and they get out and move on to the super regionals i had uc irvine advancing i'm a little i'm a little upset that they were unable to close it out in game three there but what do you guys think
3: i like texas tech i think that they are really starting to pick it up they are the one of two schools in the country to sweep its regional the last three times the tournament's been played. And it's one of those things where I I like the Big 12 over the Pac-12. I think that Stanford is a solid baseball team. But I just think Texas Tech is going to get it done having the home field advantage. And Texas Tech's home field advantage is a good one
2: quality of conference and the fact that texas tech swept its regional those are the two things that i'm looking at i completely agree with jacob i'm picking the red raiders over stanford like you mentioned stanford pushed to the brink by the anteaters of uc irvine i don't see stanford getting
3: past texas tech i've got tech moving on another stat is that texas tech since 2014 four and oh in super regionals
1: so they swept both of them impressive Stanford ran out of pitching in their own regional, 5.25 runs allowed across it. They were solid in the first two, which I guess maybe favors a little bit more of a super regional look, but they're also not playing the same type of competition at the plate that they'll be facing in Texas Tech. Stanford allowed eight runs in each of their last two games against uc irvine and so for me when i look at this super regional matchup and now it's condensing to three games of course that might favor stanford a little bit more in terms of not running out of pitching but this definitely favors texas tech where we've already talked about trusting the big 12 more they only allowed seven runs across their entire regional what, what is that like two and a half runs a game 2.3 runs a game something like that i think that them being at home sweltering heat it's a whole different it's a whole different situation stanford coming over to lubbock texas where a tumbleweed may blow over the baseball diamond give me the red raiders i don't know if they'll sweep them because i do think that there's there may be a little bit of juice in the tank for stanford at the plate they hit the ball pretty well in their own regional but i i, I do think that the red raiders will take it at home it just doesn't seem likely that texas tech would be six and zero in their last three regionals that just doesn't seem likely law of averages there What could be, and we got to squeeze this one in here, guys. Not a lot of time left. I think this is the most fun super regional of the entire
3: weekend Arizona against Ole Miss. Definitely. Arizona is fourth in the country in batting average.
1: Nine guys that are regulars in their lineup bat above 300.
3: It's insane. And then you have Ole Miss's pitching staff, which is second in strikeouts per nine innings. I mean,. They have seven hundred thirty six this year. To be
1: fair, Ole Miss is looking a little skimpy right now. They in the are. pitching staff because Hoagland went down several weeks ago, and now it's pretty much Nkazie, and that's it.
3: Yeah, and I, I think the, I think the rest of the staff just has to step up, and, and they weren't necessarily doing that. They weren't against Southern Miss, and it's w- it not the best hitting that came
1: to their regional either. Southern Miss and Florida State aren't the best hitting teams in the world. No,
3: and as far as it goes, my prediction is for arizona to advance i think that they will make contact and that's what's important they'll get the hits
1: i'm in agreement there with you i think the offense is going to be flying around there's going to be a ton of run score i'm in agreement there with you because i think that there's just a couple more arms at the arizona bullpen at this point arizona has five guys out of the bullpen below a three six ninety four below three
2: quality of conference playing at home can't pick against the sec i'm going rebels
1: at least uh, one Mississippi school has to make it right. (laughs) And I don't have either of them making it, you know. More of On the Line coming up on the other side of this break. You're listening on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama.
0: Stay On the Line. More of the show when we come back.
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, on ESPN 106.7, and on Fox Sports Central Alabama Power. And through the first 30 minutes of the Thursday edition of On the Line, solid show so far. Talked about some various quarterbacks in the league. Who would you, if you had this opportunity to replace Bo Nix, and you could draft any quarterback in the SEC to take his place, who? Would you vote to take his place? We want to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Also gave some super regional predictions. We'll continue to do that throughout the show. We'll revisit that later on. Let's go to some hot news trending around college football. It started earlier this week, and there's there's some more gas thrown on the fire today. And the Flames are picking back up about the 12-team college football playoff model, some serious talks about it, and some serious recommendations as well. There's actually a format now out there for people to jaw about. six, The highest-ranked six conference champions. So you'd be looking at basically all of your Power 5 right there in a world. I mean, it could be a world where a Pac-12 team, like last year because of Oregon, was barely above 500 there could be a world I guess where you could see well last year it would have been so because coastal Carolina and Cincinnati yeah would have gotten in.
0: Oregon would
3: not have made the college football playoff under this format last season
1: so if it if this format had been made possible last year you look at the 2020 season you would have had two group of five conferences that's and insane four of the power five conferences getting a bid to play in the playoff it's six of the highest ranked conference champions and then six at large bids given to the next six highest-ranked teams.
2: So that means for last season, you would have had Alabama, Clemson,
3: Ohio State. Let's see. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's just the top. I think last year it worked out where the top twelve gets in. Just the top twelve. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think last season it with under this format it would have still hold it, with the yeah, same. Yeah, it would still hold. Okay. Year. I yeah, believe it would
1: have been just the top twelve. Yeah, related. I
3: believe Coastal Carolina was twelfth. Right And Cincinnati and was ninth, so that's how that would have worked out. And then, obviously, the, others, the six other at-large teams were Georgia, Texas A&M, etc.
2: What about Notre Dame? They, did not win a, they didn't win a conference title, and they played in the a- a- ACC last year.
3: They would not have been the fourth team because it is, it is said that the top four conference champions get a bye week but Notre Dame's not in the conference therefore they would have basically been the fifth team right
2: right I was just trying to read off the top six that would have gotten that would have been conference champions and then I would have looked at the other one but you're you're right is it is all collectively the same I, I I think this is fun I think this is fun we talked about it a lot I believe it was on yesterday's show or it might have been the day before it was two days ago but I still have my concerns and I will go over those again just briefly. I, I, I don't know whether or not the teams that are ranked 5 through 12 truly deserve a shot at the national title, because again, the playoff is for the best teams in the entire country to compete for a national title. And that's going to leave out uh, it will leave out a Power Five school and that's just the way it is It's like well if they didn't perform well enough in their conference that season we deem them unworthy then the other four best teams will get in that's just the way it works sometimes it'll be two teams from two or it'll be two teams from one conference we've seen that with the SEC before it's like well they don't deserve the there are other power 5 conferences and especially group of 5 conferences that have not played to the level of some of these other teams That deserve a shot at a national title. This isn't a bowl game. This isn't a preseason thing. This is the national championship. And so my question is, is Coastal Carolina really deserving of a national title after seeing what some of these other teams had to go through and they've come out on the other side, either undefeated or 11 and one? I just I, I don't know whether or not they it's a le- it's legitimate because if you lose in your conference title game, you're probably going to be in that top 12. Like there there are going to be teams in that top 12. It's like do they deserve another shot after not even getting out of their conference? So, I want to go and
1: punch a hole in this just to be adversarial just for the sake of being adversarial. And what just imagine a world where there are 6 conference champions where not all six conferences are ranked
3: crazy hypothetical but it could crazy. happen
1: theoretically it could happen i need i think you have the five power five conference champions i need ranked, examples but what of it if, happening
3: i need examples of it happening
1: well i don't think it's ever happened exactly but that doesn't mean that it couldn't happen it could happen so you
2: could see the power five schools all have somebody get in but
1: none of the group of five schools have a ranked champion like what if you got a bunch of 8 and 5 group of 5 schools? My
2: immediate go to, and we were talking about this before the show is like, well, what would, would would the with the playoff committee then be like, well, oh, crap, guess we got to vote on it and vote for the between the pow, uh, group of 5 schools, like the conference champions there or would they look at the rankings, their college football playoff rankings and say, well, the this was the this was the next team out as far as rankings goes. They look at the the highest ranked group of 5 team that isn't ranked that got the most votes and say, okay, well, it's that one. Or would they re-vote on it?
1: Of course, I'm just poking fun here, and they're still fleshing that out. They have to have a contingency if that occurs, though. Right. That will be in the plan. I'm, I'm sure it has
3: to be. I think there's just going to be expanded rankings.
1: There's no way that they rank past 25.
3: I mean, they... Not that we see. Right. I
1: don't think that they do that anyway. Wasn't
3: there... It, there's a reason to now. Yeah, they, wasn't there... Oh,
1: there is? It could happen?
3: <laughs> back, I'm just saying... <laughs> you
1: y- just admitted it could happen.
3: Oh, it could. It won't. It won't. In the past, weren't they? Weren't, when we're didn't they like
1: 68 to, and this happens. I, I'm going to call you. I'm gonna, <laughs>
2: hey, Jacob, you remember that time you didn't <laughs> want the expanded
1: rankings? 40 years from now, and honestly, 40 years from now, we could be playing 64 teams and it doesn't matter. I'm all, an but,
2: AP voter now and I'm putting <laughs> Coastal Carolina I was, was going to say,
3: 40 years from now, we won't have a regular season. <laughs>
1: Probably true. It's going to be a battle royale at the start of the season. You're randomly matched up with somebody, and every week, whoever loses, they're eliminated. They don't get to play but one game. Today we are Sorry, playing Acre.
2: New Jersey International Tech. They are ranked 37th. <laughs> in the past, didn't they only rank like the top 10 teams, and then they expanded it to, like 20, and now we have the 25 uh, rankings? I feel like in no, the past, they've
1: always ranked 25.
2: The AP used. To, I don't. I may be wrong with that, but I feel. I
3: feel like they only used to rank like the top 10.
1: Oh, you're talking about the AP. Yes. Oh, oh, I don't know about yeah, that. Wait, college football playoff's always been 25, though.
3: There might have been AP. I think they did a top 20 at one point.
2: So if the college football playoff expanded their rankings, would other outlets have to expand their rankings as well?
1: Nah, they're completely unrelated. And yeah. these
2: coaches would be like, I got to rank five more teams. <laughs> no, Honestly, the coaches poll, it, I
1: don't even know why that exists. SIDs
2: ranking That's teams.
1: That's also true, yeah. The, poll, the coaches
2: poll exists to, to irritate people. Because be like, why, why, why? I don't even look at them. You got Alabama at thirty eighth. Like what? What's going on there? It's There's like, no
1: bearing there whatsoever. The coaches pull. On, I don't even know. If anything, it probably it's it's just something extra that the SIDs have to do, and the coaches are probably irritated at by irritated by it too.
2: I wish we could get just like a, a bulletin
1: j- board material in the playoffs when you're talking about Tabo Sweeney and Ohio State this past year.
2: I wish we could get a rankings for individually for the Power Five and the Group of Five and I guess I don't know about the independents where they would fit in that, but I think you would probably have to put most of them in the power five. I think that would be fun to have separate rankings for both of those. That might be the
3: solution to your hypothetical.
1: Well, in that situation, though, if none of them are ranked, then just vote on who gets the bid.
3: Oh, that's basically you're you're preemptively doing that. But you do need – I still think you need to have the solid 25. I don't think that's something you should try and get crazy and fancy with. I would, agree. I would agree with that. It'd be fun.
1: You're talking about like, well, how about this? In college basketball, why don't we create a mid-major poll? That would be fun. That exists. That exists. On College the, Hoops 2K8, the video game, there's the, a mid-major poll.
3: I think the, the thing about that, though, is there's enough mid-majors in college basketball that are ranked in the top 25. That's true. It's that's probably true. split.
1: You get a good three or four in there every year. Yeah. So that, that's, not a, that's not an unfair point. I like this. I like this. They brought me over. As you sent me in a text, I've committed to the University of Expansion. Noah Gardner has signed
2: his letter of intent to the University of Expansion.
1: I'm in. It's obvious that it's happening. So if I can't beat them, join them. And I'm, I'm in now. This is a scenario where I'm okay with this. This is an intriguing platform. I've been called an elitist by Jacob enough times now where I'm like, whatever. Let's just do this thing. It's going to make the college—they better not reduce the regular season. I still want 12
2: games. Okay, if they do that, then I'm not for it. Outside of that, if they keep the regular season games at 12, we still have conference championships, I'm okay with it. But it still is going to to cause problems in the sport, in my opinion, as far as injuries go, and do these teams actually deserve it? It's still going to be fun. It's going to be fun to watch. But I don't
3: think the teams 5-12 through 12 really, really deserve a shot at it. When it comes to the regular season, I don't think that will be changed. I think conference champions could. Maybe see, not we immediately. We all lose if
2: we get rid
1: of conference championships. I agree with that. We all lose. Don't touch any of that prior to the postseason. I agree with that. Which I guess the SEC championship is considered a postseason game. But still, don't change anything prior to bowl season, if you will. I, I, I just don't want to see any of that changed.
3: I, just I, add the extra games. I think my favorite thing would be the first round being on campus
1: and this is and, and that is also a part of it the first round games where you didn't get a buy those are all played on home campuses which is more revenue going through these schools and and i've me and you have talked about baseball and how baseball could change things and a lot of people complain about why are you playing sixty two games it's like why would you reduce it that's that's money right that will never happen they won't touch that and so in college football, I, I think the same thing can hold true. Why would you reduce the regular season? Why would you get rid of conference championships? Talk about money. That's where it is. You would reduce the regular season before you reduce conference championships. And honestly, this is only a problem that will affect 95, or, or it, it won't affect 95 percent of college football. It will only affect the top five percent of teams, or even maybe fewer than that. I haven't done the math, but whatever small little minute percentage of teams that make the college football playoff it's only affecting 12 of them
2: so if i understand correctly the six teams that are at large bids those matchups the higher ranked team will be the home team for that opening round mm. that's interesting yeah that's those, interesting. Those,
1: well those first eight games are the, or not eight games those first eight teams that are playing in those first four games of the first round of the playoff those are played at the better seeded
2: home campus
3: so i think this is where the issue comes in is that the top four teams are ticked off they don't get to host
2: that's what i that's what i think but at the same time if we're trying to like even out revenue and stuff like that do those top four teams really need that because it's going to be ohio state clemson georgia and alabama or oklahoma or lsu so so if we're Mm. talking about that
1: then they don't get to host now in a four-team playoff
2: why does it even matter?
3: You get a buy. I, I just yeah, think you I don't think, even have to play. I just think the whole thing is they're gonna say it's unfair that they don't get to host. And if so, and I agree, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be upset too if I were a fan and I had to travel. Whereas five through eight just gets us. Well, state. you and
1: I talked about this off air. I'm okay with that second round also being hosted by the top four seeds. Well, the, and then you go to neutral sites for the four. Teams, the the, what we have right now, when it gets down to four teams, when you get to the semifinals, I'm okay with that being neutral sites. But then you brought up a great point. What do you do with the New Year's Six bowl games?
3: Mm -hmm. Because then you get (laughs) number 15 playing number 20 in the Peach Bowl, and that's just not a attractive matchup.
1: It definitely devalues the Peach Bowl. It definitely makes New Year's Six bowl games not matter as much. Bowl games are where we lose here too, and I'm a big fan of bowl games. I think it's great. And there's a lot of people out there who are like they don't mean anything. They do mean something to eighty percent of the teams going and play, maybe even more than that of the teams going to play in these bowl games. I would say that the SEC teams that nearly miss out on a college football playoff, or maybe even nearly miss out on a New Year six game, if something happened at the very end of your regular season to sour you going into bowl games and you're just ready for your year to be over, sure, they didn't care. But still, ninety-five percent of the teams playing in bowl season, they care about their bowl game.
2: I think whenever I, th- as far as the the top four teams getting to play at their home field, if you let them do that and you let them have a bye, the question is, is like whether or not that's unfair. So, it, but it, it goes back to my argument of like. Do these teams outside of the top four really deserve a shot? And I think in all fairness, let the top four teams get a buy and get that home field field advantage. Now I'm thinking about it because they they got to that top four four spot. Give them all the credit they deserve. Give them that buy and Make give it them as that as easy ho- as possible. Exactly. Give it that give them that home field advantage
3: because they earned that. And I think that the way you could solve the bowl game problem, the New Year's Six problem is have the first round be hosted at those four sites that are not the semifinal sites
1: you I, I, I can't remember exactly and I want to make sure I'm right before I say this but you mentioned that Notre Dame can't get a buy
3: that is correct it's the top it's the top four <laughs> conference champions that get the buys
1: that's hilarious
3: so it, so in last year's <laughs> rankings it would have been Alabama Clemson Ohio State and Oklahoma
1: so even an undefeated Notre Dame cannot get a buy correct even a number one ranked undefeated Notre Dame cannot get a bye correct that's hilarious
2: oh but we're not joining a conference boys that ain't happening I think that may change now and once they get into that conference they they may not ever get back to the playoff
1: which which conference then and let's save that for the other side of this break you guys think about it which conference Big Ten or the ACC for Notre Dame to join because I I think it could be heading that way you're listening on the line Back on On The Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Jacob Hillman behind the controls. Wrapping up hour number one of the show. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey, everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Mel Gibson and Danny Glover starring Lethal Weapon 3 on AMC at 7. How much more difficult can the missions be at this point without actually being impossible? Mission Impossible Fallout is on FX at 7. A pair of comedies is on Paramount with role models at 6 and forgetting Sarah Marshall at 8. If you really need a good laugh, Kevin Hart's stand-up routine Let Me Explain is on VH1 at 8. In live sports, the Brooklyn Nets cruise to a 39-point victory over the Milwaukee Bucks in Game 1 to take a 2-0 series lead. The series switches to Milwaukee with the Bucks in need of back-to-back wins. Game three is on ESPN at 6.30. Barely getting past the Clippers in game one, the Utah Jazz look to double the series lead against LA in game two at nine on ESPN. The NHL playoffs have just one game on television with game six between the Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights. Colorado's season is on the ropes as the Golden Knights have a 3-2 lead. Catch game six at eight on NBCSN. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, and I asked this question right before we went to break, discussing the college football playoff with Jacob. You have some information on this. The 12-team playoff, there's actually some information now out about a potential format, but it won't be changing until what day?
3: Yeah, the college football playoff made a press release about the proposal. that was It was proposed by SEC Commissioner Sankey, the Big 12 Commissioner, the Mountain West Commissioner, and the Notre Dame Athletic Director. Well, we talked about how Notre Dame can't get a bye But also, the earliest that the college football playoff format will change is after 2020, or I think the 2023 season. And it probably won't be until 2026, because that's when the TV contract expires. And if you're the college football playoff, you probably want a bidding war. And I think that's probably what we're going to see. We're going to have to wait a little while for this.
2: Pain. (laughs) All my homies know is pain. (laughs)
3: Well, I asked this question
1: before we went to break, talking about the college football playoff. Notre Dame not being able to get that by because they don't play in a conference championship game might put them on a path to join a conference in college football, which makes me a little sad, and I'm in the minority on this. A lot of folks are like, well, get in a conference and win a conference championship. Sure, but as someone who loves the pageantry in college football, I love the all-rivalry game schedule. They play for a trophy like every week.
3: It's crazy. Like, Notre Dame, USC... Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so fun to see them play the Pac-12 teams. And if they do join a conference, unfortunately, those will go away. Well, not, they, not completely. Not all of
1: them, but they, it's going to
3: be harder for them to get Michigan and Michigan State on the same right. schedule. Well, especially if conferences start going to 10-game schedules which I think is possible. Which if that happens, then I'm completely out on this. But if it Same. doesn't... If
2: it doesn't. See, yeah. here's my thing. is like they can join a, a conference like the ACC or the Big Ten and they can still get four non-conference games a year, schedule two of those as rivalries and alternate them out. Yeah. It's like it's not, the, it's not, it's not forever going Maybe have a rotating
1: away. pool right? Michigan, Michigan State, uh, some USC. of these other Big Ten schools. Oh, man, I forgot about SC. I forgot. Stanford's another Stanford. one. Stanford yeah those are the four those are the four maybe you rotate them every four years but how do you create that agreement with those schools that's tough I think we I think it's more likely you lose those than them finding a way to work it out I asked you guys this question which conference Big Ten ACC should Notre Dame join there's more rivalries that Notre Dame can preserve if they go to the Big Ten rather than the ACC if that impacts your decision whatsoever
2: all right listen listen this is how it's going to happen okay we're going to kick Georgia Tech out of the ACC. <laughs> all right. We're going to put Notre Dame and the Coastal Division to make that a little bit more even because it's so top heavy with the Atlantic Division. Usually, we're
1: going to bring Tech to the SEC.
2: We're going to bring Tech to the SEC. What happens
1: to Vanderbilt? <laughs> I, I assume they would. Conference be the USA.
2: We're, we're kicking out Missouri. Good we're kicking out Missouri. Okay. And we're going to let the Big Ten figure out what to do with them. The Big Ten will kick out somebody, probably somebody that's terrible like Purdue. They will disappear. They will go to a group of five school, and that will be the last we ever hear of them. Welcome, Purdue, to the MAC. That's okay. <laughs> Everybody would be okay with that.
1: Vanderbilt into the Sun Belt might be too difficult. Vanderbilt to the Conference <laughs> USA, they can make that work. Purdue to the MAC, I like
2: it. <laughs> let's make it happen, boys. Let's, just, let's rotate everything around to where it should be, and
3: let's all go home happy.
1: What about mega conferences?
3: That was that was really in depth. I'm just gonna say, put them in the ACC and have a 15 team conference or however many they have. Well, I think
1: the look is they play in the ACC in basketball already, yeah. and so the answer is already there. We know what conference they're going to if if it's going to happen. Because I, I highly doubt we see Notre Dame t- completely flip the script and then also go and play in the Big Ten in basketball. And although the Big Ten was the deepest conference in basketball this year, at least we thought until they got into the NCAA tournament. I do think that the ACC, many years, is deeper than the Big Ten, and the Big Ten could use another team in basketball. I think.
2: Okay, I have an answer. Purdue can stay. We're kicking out Rutgers. We're taking them to like so. We're taking them to. We're taking Rutgers to the map. Let's FCS. just make that happen.
1: Yeah, FCS may be more likely. Hey, they were better last year. That's it for hour number one of On The Line. We'll be back for hour number two, ranking the top five wide receivers in the SEC for 2021. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: You are on the line. or toll-free at 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox
1: Sports Central Alabama. Solid Thursday edition of the show so far. We've talked about what quarterback would we replace Bo Nicks with if we had the option to choose out of any quarterback in the SEC and that's going to bring me to a caller that we've got on the line with us now. 334-321-1390 is how you get in touch with us. We got Terry on the line. Terry,
4: what's up, my man? Guys, how y'all doing this afternoon?
1: We're doing really well. What's on your mind?
4: What, what quarterback would I replace Bo Nix? him with the character Barney. Uh, oh, wow. Well, that's
1: not what we meant. We meant what, what quarterback would you rather have? Who would you bring uh, I in? I'd Matt Corral. Okay.
4: Why? Quite honestly, and and you guys are going to talk about this a little while, the wide receivers in the Southeastern Conference. I think it depends on the quarterback throwing it to him, quite honestly. and Because and, uh, I believe there are probably you know wide receivers better than Devontae Smith last year, but and Mac, Mac Jones was just that doggone good. I and mean, they were so good at getting him the ball, letting him make plays. Because he's not no physically intimidating type guy.
1: I wonder how he transitions to the NFL. I wouldn't go so far as to say that there were a lot of guys better than Devontae Smith. I mean, there's a reason why – Jalen Waddle got drafted in front of him, and you're talking about the size. I think there may have only – if, if – uh, if what's his what, what's his face from LSU? Why am I forgetting his name? It's because he didn't Jamar play. Chase. Yeah, Chase. If Jamar Chase had played at LSU. I think you would have said two receivers going to the next level were better than Devontae Smith.
4: But... No, I, did. I didn't say he wasn't great. I, I, yeah. I didn't say that before you start getting a bunch of calls of people accusing me of saying something I didn't say. He's great, <laughs> and he's very deserving of all the awards he got. I'm just saying he wasn't a physically imposing wide receiver, and I don't know how his game is going to translate to the next level because – receivers are so big and strong up there and defensive acts can push around a smaller guy and what is Devontae Smith 6-1 probably 175 180 I think he checked into like 170 didn't he at the
2: combat? yeah that's so right. I mean
4: that's that's a big deal I think you've blown too hard you to fall over back well, yesterday was like six four two twenty.
1: Yeah, they're they're definitely they're bigger and stronger in the league what Devontae Smith possesses though that is so special the counterpoint of that his route running's out of this world
4: mm-hmm. route running and it's got great hands
1: yeah and speed, and and he's one of the fastest receivers in this draft. There's there's a lot to like about him athletically, aside yeah, from I, the, I, the
4: size. He's going to play in the NFC leash though.
1: That's true, and that's going to help so. him out.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. They can't. They they. I mean, the the Giants are, are pathetic. The Cowboys are what they are. You know, and the Eagles. You know, they can be good. I think. Be reunited right with Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen Hurts is the quarterback to take them the next level. Because quite honestly, because I think that's what the NFL's trending toward. But. Replacing Bonick, I'd replace him with anything. Matt Corral would be fantastic, but I think it's more the wide receiver, more the coach, quite honestly. Um, we'll see how Brian Harson does. I'd ask the guys yesterday, does Brian Harson have any kind of an NFL background? Because you know as well as I do that traditionally speaking, Auburn coaches have had very good years in their first year. And if he's got any kind of NFL ties or anything, the NFL will come calling. You know Jerry Jones up there, he, he'll, he changes coaches like he changes socks.
1: brian harson doesn't have any looking at his wikipedia page and his background coaching he does not have any nfl experience he really doesn't have a whole lot of experience outside of boise (laughs) he spent three years outside of boise as a coach aside from uh well he spent four years He, he had one year at eastern oregon which i've never even heard of he spent two seasons at texas and then one at arkansas state so he's got four years outside of just being in boise idaho i didn't know he was at texas yeah, he was there under uh, I think it was the last two years of Matt Brown. He was there as their mm-hmm. OC, which were not the brightest years for Texas's offenses either.
4: Well, I asked you guys the other day, and I, and I, I stick by this: if, if T.J. Finley can beat out Bownext, do you guys think he stays? Because I don't. I don't think he stays at all. And you know, wonder where he goes. Well, I would go to go to Florida and Gus Malzahn promised him the job to start with, right?
1: You know, if T.J. Finley were to win the job, I I don't think Bo Nix sticks around. But with that being said, I I don't think that Bo Nix loses this job. I think he's just based off of it, and I know you brought up the point that it was a different situation for T.J. Finley at LSU. I think it was a more favorable situation for T.J. Finley at LSU, and and he looked abysmal. So I I, I think the great thing about Finley is he's going to push Bo Nix. Maybe Bo Nix will improve.
4: You know, people get mad that that when I say Bo Nix was promised a job out of Penson Valley because he was – uh, but, but really, the truth of the matter is this, guys. I think all of us can agree that T.J. Finley made that quarterback room better, right?
1: When he was brought into Auburn? Right, yes. Yes, I would agree with that.
4: Now, when he ran off Malik Willis, who's going to play in the NFL, and Joey Gaywood, I think his future's still yet to be determined, but he certainly has an NFL-style body, a big, strong quarterback. Gus Malzahn promised him a job to come there. He got rid of the guys that could challenge him. Nobody could challenge him. And, and if he hasn't been challenged, then how do we know if he can be good or bad? People say, we was great at Pinson Valley. Well, so what? Big deal.
1: You know, and, and, you know there's
4: and, and, a lot of great high school players who didn't materialize. Just like there's a lot of great guys in college who didn't materialize. DJ Fluker was as good an offensive lineman as i ever seen in college. And Where's he at in the NFL? Is he even still in the NFL?
1: That I don't know off the top of my head. I'd have to go and look exactly. that Exactly. But I'll say this about, about the issues under Gus Malzahn. It was under Gus Malzahn. Previous coaching staff, different situation. Everything that you hear out of the program now and all the things that are changing out of the program seem to be for the better and I think everybody's gotta earn it. That's a big reason why TJ Finley's coming in. I, I think that's already a sign. The fact that the fact that Coach Harson decided to bring in TJ Finley, I think, is a signal that nobody on this team is untouchable.
4: Okay, last thing guys, Bonix will start the season, no doubt about it. I think Finley will take over because I think when he gets in, they will see how the team rallies around him as opposed to Bonix. I just don't think Bonix is a very good teammate. I really don't. And I know somebody can say, well they elected him a captain. Oh, we all know how that can be manipulated. Come on.
1: I'm so, not in the that, locker that's what room I think, so that's what I, I going happen. I'm not in the locker room so I can't speak for what the other players think or anything Well, I'm like not that. either,
4: but but you you've seen how you've seen the action on the field. the, the guys the, there certainly there wasn't a lot of camaraderie. I didn't this, think so anyway. This isn't the
1: best guy to compare Bo Nix to because they're in completely different universes when it comes to quarterback play. Tom Brady eats everybody on his sideline alive.
4: Yeah, that's a bad comparison, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, God I appreciate it, my care. man. Have a great day.
1: You too. That was Terry on the line with us. If you want to join us, call in at three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Lance, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, I think the only thing that I could say about this quarterback room now is I agree with you and Terry. I think the addition of TJ Finley did nothing but make this quarterback room better because you're either going to get a guy in Finley that can outplay Bo Nix and take that job and perform better than Nix, or it's going to push Bo Nix to be better in this new system. One of those two things is going to happen. I think overall it's a good move. I don't know whether or not necessarily Bo Nix will lose his job. He's going to have two really tough road tests, five games into the season at Penn State at LSU to really test his skills on the road. We've seen in the past Nix not perform well on the road in, in different environments, but I, I think this is a good. I think it was a good move, and I think it's still a good move now. It's going to put Bo Nix in the pressure cooker, like Brian Harson said, and only good things will come from it.
1: I don't see a possibility i'm not gonna say i don't see a possibility I, I I could see this happening but i doubt it will happen i don't think that bonex loses his job if he's the starter day one
2: yeah I, I agree. I know
1: that was something that terry mentioned and i want to i want to i want to say that i i don't think that that happens bonix I, I i'm expecting fully a better bonix this season yep. how much better i don't know but i am expecting a better bonex, not a worse bonex in 2021.
2: Right, like we mentioned earlier. It's not gonna be Matt Corral numbers, but I would expect him to start to trend more in that direction. Develop your passing ability downfield. We saw him miss on so many different shots because mechanically he was off. Mechanically he'd be sliding to his left or to his right, and he would just he would not put the ball where he needs to be, and he's gonna become a better runner whenever he knows he needs to run. Not when when he, sh- whenever he panic runs, whenever he should run, whenever it's designed. He's going to get better. The scheme is going to put him in better situations. I think if he starts day one and he plays well through that Penn State game, it's his job for the rest of the year.
1: Maybe I'm putting too much stock in the new coaching staff because we haven't even seen him coach in – a regular season football game that yet, is true but i'm choosing the side of optimism here that the new coaching staff will be able to do better with their quarterbacks than the previous one if not they're not going to last very long
2: year one i was excited with nicks year two i got slapped in the face and now i'm coming running back for year three <laughs> i've put in stock in this coaching staff and like you mentioned i don't know if it's necessarily warranted because this coaching staff as a whole doesn't have a ton of experience uh, specifically in the southeastern conference but i'm I, I trust them after see after seeing the product on the field in the, in the spring game and after in seeing like well we still got things to work on and these are the things we're going to work on i know that they're aware of their issues and i know that they're going to correct them so i trust them heading into the fall with guys like Nick. i i think he's going to perform
1: the x factor here is the coordinators we talk about brian harson not having experience in the sec but the two coordinators that that are in the sec have substantial experience primarily mike bobo who has spent nearly his entire career in the sec say what you will about on the defensive side of the ball, Derek Mason, who only has like seven years in the SEC, but he spent it as a head coach. He knows the landscape. And it's funny, Derek Mason had much more the rockier tenure in the SEC than Mike Bobo, historically. Right. And there's more confidence on the defensive side of the ball than there is on the offensive side of the ball. People are faulting Mike Bobo for his, for, for his time out in the mountains at Colorado State and then for the one year at South Carolina. I don't think that the game's passed him by. I think Mike Bobo's the X factor here with Bo Nix improving this upcoming year. I trust him with the quarterbacks at Auburn, even maybe more so than I trust Brian Harson, who does have a good track record with the QBs, and not just a track record with QBs in the Mountain West, he has sent them to the league.
2: Here's my thought process on Mike Bobo. Like you mentioned, he's been around the SEC for quite some time you don't just stick around the sec for quite some time unless you're a good offensive coordinator you know how to make offenses hum.
1: and it wasn't like will friend sticking around the sec like or kevin Steele bouncing around from team to team because kevin still spent time at alabama lsu auburn i think tennessee too right was he was he a coordinator i mean he was for a month or two for but... a hot minute <laughs> but you know there was that situation well friend you know it's been around Alabama Auburn as well at Georgia also you know there, there have been coaches that have these two three-year stints and bounce around my Bobo was at Georgia for like more than 10 years
2: yep yep and, and I agree with you I don't think the game has passed him by teams are still able to run the football effectively and and he along with that he developed really good quarterbacks Auburn's got a potential star in Bo Nix because we haven't seen him hit that level yet consistently and they have a star in Tank Bigsby They've got an offensive line that has four or five seniors returning, and they have young, talented, really big receivers. They have potential. Mike Bobo has potential. I think you give him this season and you give him next season, and Auburn will start to trend upward dramatically.
1: Let's start ranking our top five wide receivers for the SEC season here as we've only got a couple minutes before we got to go to break. Who's fifth on your list?
2: Number five on my list is, man, I had a really hard time deciding between five and six, but I've got Kiaris Jackson at my number five spot. I could also see Tremaine Burton at this number five spot or Anaya Smith from Texas A&M at this five spot. But the reason that I have Kiaris Jackson – over uh Jermaine Burton is you can look at Jermaine Burton and say well he did all of the his production as a freshman last season he was really really talented Jermaine Burton 404 yards three touchdowns 15 yards per catch Kiaris Jackson was not a starter last season he's heading into his junior year but he was not a starter he had 36 receptions for 514 yards 14.3 average and that was three touchdowns and he did it as a backup he did it as a backup and he led the team in receiving yards I I have faith I've talked about this uh, Georgia offensive scheme I have faith in them being able to stretch the field and they've got guys on the roster that can do that even with the loss of Pickens I think this passing offense is going to be really good and I think Kiaris Jackson's going to head it
1: you know a lot of re- a lot of good receivers left the league from last year and it made our job here a lot tougher considering George Pickens got hurt which stinks because we are deprived of watching a really talented receiver that was beginning to figure it out at this level. It took him a little bit, but he was beginning to figure it out at the end of his sophomore season. Five on my list, Wondell Robinson, the Nebraska transfer, the all-purpose guy who had over, who had more than 1,000 yards at Nebraska, over 50 catches each, each of his first two seasons. He's a Rondell Moore type. Rondell Moore, Auburn fans will remember, played at Purdue, the guy who they had doing everything. Kentucky loves guys like this rewind a couple of years ago Lynn Bowden you're gonna tell me that guy wasn't a top five receiver in the SEC back then
2: he was he was a top five not player but all-purpose guy he he could do a lot of different things than just catch the ball
1: and they didn't have quarterbacks that could throw the ball back then either and I actually think now the Kentucky offense may possess more arm talent than they did two or three years ago Terry Wilson gone now they're looking at Bo Allen they're looking at Will Levis they're looking at Joey Gatewood Will Levis kind of seems like the favorite right now during the offseason He's a guy who can throw the ball around a little bit. I don't know how good he's going to be. He'll probably have a relatively rocky start considering it's his first year in the SEC. It's really his first year of playing time because he didn't play a whole lot at Penn State. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he's a freshman. And that's going to come with it, a learning curve, just like it did for Connor Bazilek and Will Rogers and some of these other guys that show promise but still had their rough games and their rough points at times. But I do think that there is more arm talent in the Kentucky quarterback room this year than they've ever had. That's going to allow them to create more for players like Wandell Robinson, not just in the form of the passing game, but they're also going to get them involved running the football. I'm in love with this transfer. I think it's one of the best transfers coming to the SEC this year. This is huge. At
2: number four, I have Traylon Burks. 51 receptions, 820 yards, seven touchdowns, averaged 16.1 yards per catch. Arkansas brings back the, their entire offensive line. They're bringing in a new quarterback in K.J. Jefferson that proved he could throw the ball around a little bit in that uh, loss to Missouri late in the season. I think he's, my, he's, he's the number 4 guy on my list. I think he's going to be something special.
1: I have him a lot higher on my list, and I look forward to talking about him a little bit later. Traylon Burks could be a special talent, and unfortunately the, the scheme could hurt him a lot. And that was a point that Terry brought up on his phone call. A lot of it depends on the scheme and, and who's throwing them to him. And we don't know a whole lot about KJ Jefferson. And last year, it worked out for him with Felipe Franks, but we already knew he could throw the ball. We don't know that about KJ Jefferson. Four on my list. Me and you talked about this a lot off air. I know you had Kiris Jackson. I left Kiris Jackson off my list entirely. I went with Jermaine Burton. There is some smoke here. And I, I mean that in a good way. Like when there's smoke, there's fire. And during the offseason, there's been some... Some rumblings about Jermaine Burton really turning it on this year and being the guy in that receiver room now that George Pickens went down with an ACL injury. The other thing is he started last year was kind of, and this year he would not have been the number one receiver in the Georgia receiver room because it would be George Pickens. But now he's put into a more important role in the Georgia wide receiver room. He did all of that production as a freshman that you mentioned over the 400 yards. He's the second-leading returning receiver this year. Not looking at George Pickens' numbers between him and Curtis Jackson, he is second on the list, but he did as a freshman. And I've said this throughout this week, the biggest jump that you see for a player is from their first-year playing to their second-year playing. Not necessarily their freshman to sophomore year, but in this case it happens to be freshman to sophomore year for Jermaine Burton. I think you could be seeing the next the next good Georgia receiver turning to a great Georgia receiver And Jermaine Burton, he could really blow up
2: at number three I have whoever leads Ole Miss essentially no but I I, I have Dontario D- Drummond you could go between their three receivers that are projected to start you could pick Jonathan Mingo you could pick Braylon Sanders but I'm gonna go with the Dontario Drummond because production wise he had the most out of those three guys last last year 25 receptions 417 yards 14 16.7 yards per catch and seven touchdowns he's gonna lead this high-flying Ole Miss offense I think Matt Corral's gonna get the ball to him a lot statistically he may come out on top compared to the rest of the guys on these lists at the end of the year
1: for number three on my list and this is where we'll park it right before we go to break and we'll save the top two for a little bit later on number three on my list I'm going to wide receiver you with LSU and I mean you you pick any year man you got a good bet at wide receiver for LSU and them turning out somebody that can be a game changer at the next level not just in the SEC but at the next level and I'm going with Kayshawn Boutte. Last year, 45 catches, 735 yards. He was the leading receiver last year in terms of yardage, not in terms of receptions. He trailed Terrace Marshall Jr. by three catches there. But Boutte, 45 catches, 735 yards, 16.3 average, five touchdowns. He was trailing behind Terrace Marshall Jr., and then Terrace Marshall Jr. dipped out midseason. I think after the Auburn game, he opted out. And then Kayshawn Boutte picked it up, and everybody's like, oh, th- this is the next stud. And the thing to mention about Boutte was, last year, he was a freshman. I go back to the point that I just made previously about um, Burton at Georgia. I go back to that previous point, and the biggest jump for a player is from his first year of playing time to his second year. And for Boutte, that happens to be from his freshman, sophomore year, and as his body develops to be a college football player body as a freshman, you don't possess that, at least most of the time you don't. Now his body is going to mature another year. This is someone who's ready to take over the SEC. I've got him at three.
2: LSU bringing back their entire offensive line, and they've got a couple of receivers outside of Hey, They're going to be something special offensively. I don't know about defensively, but they're going to be able to score.
1: On the other side of this break, we come back, we talk some super regional NCAA baseball tournament action. You're listening to On The Line.
0: You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back.
1: Back on On the Line, Noah Garner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Hillman behind the controls. We tweeted out our SEC uniform bracket. First round concluded with these eight teams remaining in our bracket. One seed LSU, two seed Auburn, three seed Ole Miss, five seed Texas A&M. On the eastern side, one seed Florida, two seed Tennessee, three seed Georgia, five seed Kentucky. Those are your eight teams remaining. Be sure to go and vote for these matchups. Second round voting already active. It's going through Friday at midnight. Well, not tomorrow morning. I mean, Saturday morning, I guess. So Saturday, 12 a.m. is when the voting will conclude for the second round of our SEC uniform bracket. It's about how I expected the first round to go. Second round voting right now, hot out the gates. Auburn is whooping Ole Miss right now, 92% to 8%. LSU and AM matched up 83% for LSU right out the gates. Tennessee up 65-35 on Georgia and Florida. Dominated Kentucky right now 76-24. Any surprises?
2: We thought that maybe there would be a little bit of Auburn bias in this poll. <laughs> and uh, we're seeing it right now. I voted for Auburn even though I do like uh, Ole Miss's Navy uniforms. I voted for Auburn. We're seeing a lot of other people right now vote for Auburn. Uh, so Auburn might
1: have something to do with our audience
2: currently running the miss field goal back auburn's gonna win the uniform bracket contest
1: <laughs> i feel pretty probably. good about it yeah
3: auburn's probably gonna win probably i just gonna... wonder
1: how skewed it is per- all the way personally
3: through. i voted old miss because when it comes to if i were ranking the whole sec i'd put Ole Miss one spot above auburn
1: if you got a twitter account go and vote at espn 1067 you can find the poll there or all the polls there go and check that out Going back to our super regional bracket, who's going to Omaha, gentlemen? We've gone through three super regionals, that is, so far. Let's move down to the bottom of the left side of the bracket. ECU, 13th national seed against Vanderbilt, the number four national seed. This is a fun one. A lot of talent here. Some good pitching on both sides, especially on the Friday matchup or or whatever the first game is. Jacob, do you know when the first game is on this? I'm not
3: sure if this is a Friday or Saturday start date.
1: Well, you got Gavin Williams at ECU, 1.82 ERA against Kumar Rocker, 2.65 ERA for Vanderbilt. Gavin Williams very well could be a first round draft pick in the mlb draft a fun first game and if ecu can find a way to win it this could tip the scales to ecu this is a fun one potential upset here
2: you were asking when the game is when the first game is yeah. it's going to be tomorrow at uh, 11 a.m
1: at when 11 a.m <laughs> man what are, i want to watch this I know. what <laughs> are we <laughs>
3: doing ncaa honestly come on y'all Come um, on.
1: Lance. You go first. Then you you got the you got the info. Uh,
2: I'm gonna go Vanderbilt. Not really a whole lot of other ways to go other than the SEC. I know I said earlier that Ole Miss was playing at home. I want to correct myself. I was wrong. It's being played at Arizona. I apologize. I'm still picking the Rebels. I don't care. I'm picking Vanderbilt here. Uh, SEC homer all the way. Not even looking at East Carolina, even if they're good.
3: <laughs> East Carolina is good. Very good. I don't really I don't really buy the upset potential here. I really just think that Vanderbilt is going to show what they're made of this weekend with the pitches You pitch and Tim staff.
1: Corbin should hang out. Really? You and Tim Corbin. You didn't see his quote? I did not. Something about underdogs. He's like, it doesn't matter. Underdogs don't matter. Overdog. Uh, hot dog. No dog. Something Cavs in like that. Four. Yeah. I, I
3: did not see that quote, but I agree with that. I think that I, I think Rocker and Leiter are going to light it up this weekend. It's their I,
1: last games in Vanderbilt.
3: Exactly. And I, I really think that They've been kind of up and down throughout the year. And, you know, Lyder had those no-hitter, like, basically back-to-back no-hitters. And there's not a ton of depth
1: after them. They got some really good pitchers right after, but it's not a ton of arms. It's just really, really quality arms, not quantity.
3: Exactly. And I I, I think that they'll come out, and I think they'll get it done in two games.
1: Like I said, if ECU wins game one, this thing gets interesting.
3: You're right about that. I, I think if they win game one, I would... Almost lean towards them winning the super regional. Gavin Williams says
1: of this trio, and granted, if Gavin Williams was in the SEC, his ERA probably looks more like Kumar Rocker right. or Jack Leiter. So there's a real chance there for for you know whichever of these teams gets the better pitching out of their starter in Game One, that team's probably going to win. But there, I would imagine that there's a little bit more juice in the Vanderbilt bats. Than ECU, based off of the competition that they faced all year long. ECU does not face pitchers like Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter all year long, whereas Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter do face pitchers all year long like themselves. And also the Vanderbilt lineup yeah. faces those guys <laughs> all year long, right? So. I went Vanderbilt as well, a big part of that. I thought that this was the mo- one of the most difficult series to pick because I do value this ECU program. They're not strangers to this stage.
3: Yeah, interesting note. Pirates have most NCAA tournament appearances without a college world series. 31 NCAA tournament appearances, never appeared in Omaha. They've, they've made 17 close, they have. Yeah. They made 17 of the last 21 tournaments. Man.
1: ECU though, they didn't look too hot in their own regional in Greenville five runs allowed in each game i think
3: that's, that's part of high. why i'm i'm really thinking i think the bats will do it even if lighter or rocker were to not be on their a game i think their bats would back them up
2: can we just get an sec chant going in the room real quick i'm
0: kidding
1: <laughs> sec 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 just, <laughs> just
3: wait till we get to the starkville super
1: yeah, I only, hey guys, I only have three SEC just,
3: teams. Just, yeah, I just wanted to go ahead and spoil them. <laughs> I, I,
1: I'm sure you have all five making it. I only have three making it. I want to get to the grain there. You know this me so is well. the, This is the easiest one, USF-Texas. Texas' yeah. number two team in the country against USF, a four seed.
3: It would be a cool story, but I think Texas gets this done easily.
1: Well, things were mapped out for USF pretty well after they beat Florida because South Alabama took care of Florida and just unbelievable fashion with the 18 to 2 18 to one whatever it was in the elimination game and at that point the the regional got a lot easier and USF rode their pitching staff all the way through which honestly behind ECU it probably is the next best pitching staff in the American Athletic Conference they're going against a Texas team that is known for their pitching the way that this series gets interesting is if it stays low scoring and it very well could because Texas is, is really just rather okay in their lineup but I still think with three starters below three a uh, three ERA in the Texas starting pitching staff Texas gets to Omaha and, and I think it's fairly easy <laughs> I don't
3: think they're gonna have to use that third pitcher either yeah, probably not
2: <laughs> you know not. you know how I just irrationally hate some teams oh like I goodness. just don't like Ohio is USF State
1: there or is Texas
2: no so UC or USF playing against Malzon, that rivalry can't play it can't can't pull for USF and they beat my Jags if you think that south florida is d- getting anything done this this week against texas you are mistaken. Texas will blow them out of the water.
1: Your baseball picks are like solely off of emotion. There, there's two things for you. It is, first of all, are you an SEC team? Check that box. Yes or, yes or no. no? If it's a yes, then that ends there. But if it's a no, the flowchart extends. Yeah. And it's like, do I like you? And then it's yes or no. And if it's no, you pick the other team. If it's yes, yes, you pick that team. And if
2: it's yes, there's one more. It's like, is your conference better? If both of you are not SEC teams, is your conference better than the other team on the other side? And if it's no, then you're out. If it's yes, you
1: advance.
3: <laughs> South Alabama actually has the second most NCAA tournaments without a College World Series. That's tough. The twenty-eighth, they're three behind program, East Carolina. South it West. is it's one of the best programs in
1: this state. For a while, it might have been one and two with Auburn.
3: Yeah, Just say it. might. <laughs> uh, I'm. Yeah, you're, you're holding
1: back, but it might have been at yeah. one point. You know, it had been like five years without Alabama making a super. Yeah. More of on the line coming up on the other side of this break.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you, joined by Jacob Hillman, going through our Super Regional Predictions for this weekend, starting tomorrow. There is some also, and I don't know why they do this. Uh, Jacob, you brought it up saying that it's for TV time, but Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Nobody's watching it on a Monday
3: yeah, I mean, Auburn's Super Regional against UNC ended on a Monday. I remember I was taking a summer class, and I missed the first four runs that were scored.
1: I watched that game at a Chick-fil-A.
2: Unless
3: unless we live bad in no- Noah Gardner's fantasy world where everybody gets their Monday off
2: instead of their Friday off, and everybody's just vibing <laughs> on Monday. Which actually, now that I think about it, wouldn't be a bad deal, because like during March Madness, you'd be able to watch games on Monday. That would be fun. <laughs> I'm cool. almost with you now.
1: Well, let's wrap up our super regional predictions here. We got three more to go through. We're on the right side of the bracket. We just said Texas takes down USF. Let's go to Rudy versus Duty. Go to Duty <laughs> Noble Stadium. Mississippi State hosting Notre Dame. That's how it's said, guys. Y'all, y'all chuckled, but That's how he it's made said. me
3: laugh. Anyway,
1: because <laughs> Lance is a child, hey, he literally, literally a I child. Can't wait to take a look at your flow chart for this.
3: <laughs> go ahead. I'm taking Mississippi State. And it's all because of Christian McLeod and Will Bednar. Those two starting pitchers for the Bulldogs are incredible. I don't care that Notre Dame scored 26 runs against UConn last weekend. I don't care how many runs they scored against that weak regional.
1: They scored 48 across that regional.
3: And it's a weak one. (laughs) Give me the Bulldogs. Omaha, Omaha dogs, not Omaha hogs. We already did that.
1: If you had a flow chart like Lance, Mississippi State, you love it. I think that may give you some bias here. In all honesty, you're right. This you, I, Me and you were talking about this, and I made this pick, and I said Notre Dame would win. And then you were like, that's a terrible pick. And I was like, well, if I change it now and Notre Dame ends up smashing Mississippi State, I'm going to be livid. Yet, if I picked Notre Dame and then Mississippi State wins, I would be like, all right, I just got one wrong. So I'm sticking to my guns here. Notre Dame, and a big part of this is I, I, I don't think that the SEC is going to put I, – I, I'm just trying to play the odds here that the SEC is not going to put half of the teams in Omaha. I know that happens sometimes. This is the year but,
3: because of how strong Tennessee has been. That's right. Because those, those core teams in the West are so solid. I don't know. I, I see the SEC getting four in.
1: If there's going to be an SEC team that goes down this weekend, I think it is Ole Miss. But I tacked on Mississippi State to it because I fear the inconsistency that we have seen from them towards the end of the season. You look at the end of the regular season, Auburn needed their help. Against Missouri, guess what happened? Missouri beat them, took two out of three. They get run-ruled in two games of the SEC tournament, and they really just didn't dominate and start and full in the regional Their regional either. was weak, too. And so I like the way that Notre Dame's playing right now. They're definitely the hotter of the two teams, scoring 48 runs in three games. I know it wasn't against the best competition in the world, but it's hard for me to see that many SEC teams making it to Omaha. I know it's happened in the past, but I'm going to – err on the side that the mississippi schools don't make it. i'm going to go with a hot take and, and see an upside and,
3: and one last thing duty Nobe, duty noble field they are going to be insane this week right I, haven't I think the game time is like six three and six those nighttime games are going to be fun lance take us through your flow chart all right i just
2: want to say something real quick this flow chart does not apply to college basketball it does apply to college football but I, <laughs> and now that I'm thinking about this more, I think I should really use this throughout the regular season for football whenever we're making picks.
1: Well, what's funny is Jacob was 8 for 16 on Super Regional Picks. I was 10 for 16, and you were 10 for 16, and you've used this emotional flow chart to pick, and he and I are using analytics and rationale. So take us through this. The first
2: question you have to ask yourself whenever you sit down to do a Division One baseball official bracket is, is this an SEC team that I'm looking at? If the answer is yes, you go ahead and advance them, no questions asked. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) if it is no you have to look and you have to decide whether or not you like them and if you don't like that team you have to you have to put them out but if you do like both of these teams you have to decide which team plays in the tougher conference and then you go with that i've expressed my my my, my, my dislike for notre dame quite a few times on this show and mississippi state as an sec team It's not looking good for the Fighting Irish in Starkville. Didn't you say, Jacob, that you actually were going to go to one of these games? I really want to go on Saturday, but I don't know if I'm going to make it up to Starkville. I would love—I'd love to catch a video (laughs) of of just this Starkville crowd after looking up and oh my goodness, it's fifteen to nothing. I'm picking the Bulldogs. It's flowchart never lies.
1: Jokingly, I say this, but we're going to make this a part of your internship. You have to go to Starkville this weekend. We're not paying. (laughs) You have to I have
3: places to stay. I, I can make it work. I need at least Consider one picture. Consider this
1: research. This all right, so, res- so we got two Mississippi States, one Notre Dame here. I'm going to go with an upset. They happen. They happen, and I've gone chalk all the way through at this point. I've gone all chalk. This is the first upset I've picked. It's going to happen. I can't go chalk, and so I, I, I am going to go with Notre Dame. This is the one where I feel like I could see the most likely upset other than maybe Ole Miss, Arizona, just because the offense there is absurd my cinderella team right here dallas baptist virginia i got dallas baptist in omaha gentlemen and a big part of this is they beat some quality competition throughout the year they beat some i think they're 10 and 5 against teams that appeared in regionals this year they took down tcu and oregon state honestly a pretty tough regional for all of those teams combined because dallas baptist does play in 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 a pretty good missouri valley conference for baseball there's typically a decent team coming out of there in a lot of years it is Dallas Baptist some years it's Wichita State it's it's a fun conference for college baseball and they have played thorough competition across the year in their regional they were gritty I think to their grand slam that they had against Oregon State in the elimination game to win the regional in Fort Worth this was a team that did not want to go away TCU tried to suppress them at times and guess what Dallas Baptist kept coming back they were in several come-from-behind situations. I think in all three games that they won to to take the regional between TCU and Oregon State twice, they had to come from behind. I have a hard time seeing UVA, a team with limited offense, just an okay lineup. they got a great pitching staff. They resemble South Carolina in that way. But I have a hard time imagining them keeping Dallas Baptist from advanced to Omaha, this is a team that that looks like they're on a mission.
2: You clearly have not looked at my flow chart.
1: <laughs> yeah, we I and you were talking off air, and it got down all the way to your, your last your last question and then you went better conference and you took ACC whatever
2: yep I, ha- I, I gotta go with Virginia and the reason that I don't dislike Virginia and that I'm neutral is because it's the baseball team and also whenever I think about that loss in the final four it wasn't necessarily Virginia that 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 made that happen it was the officials that that really really uh, messed Auburn over so I'm neutral on both of these teams they don't play in the SEC Virginia plays in the better conference they're moving on
3: I'm gonna pick Dallas Baptist too Woo! And I really think just the momentum from that comeback against Oregon State has to carry over. I
1: think I want them to win the whole thing. Me
3: too. I'm going to come I, in I think I want them to win the whole this, thing. Give me this. I say Cinderella story. They've been in the nine of the last 12 NCAA tournaments. So they're a. They are solidly in. They are a good team. I'm going to come in on Tuesday.
2: I'm going to come in on Tuesday and be like, respect the chart. Respect the <laughs> chart after I get every single pick right. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, hey, Virginia's moving on. All right. See, but
1: if you applied your flow chart to the actual NCAA tournament bracket, like if you picked it from the start, you would end up with eight teams in Omaha. And it would be horrible at the end. You have to only apply your flow chart to each round when you're picking. I guess that's true. Because then you are going to be, on average, you're going to be picking a pretty good percentage. Because 5 SEC teams in Omaha is not out of the realm of nope. possibility, I don't think.
2: Flow chart works.
1: If not Dallas Baptist, who would you guys like to see win the whole thing? I'm going Texas or Tennessee mainly because That's I That's a favor, good question. if I had a flow chart it would be do you wear orange? I, I typically <laughs> favor teams that wear orange.
3: Probably NC State to be honest.
1: They're fun, they hit the ball well. I, I, see if I was putting that if I was putting them in that category of fun though, I would look at Arizona.
3: Cuz they
4: they Hot can spank the team. baseball.
2: Well just based on my flowchart I have to pick an ACC team here and I would prob- <laughs> I would probably I'd probably pick Tennessee or Arkansas. Not LSU? No, not LSU. <laughs>
1: because they didn't they didn't advance we uh,
2: fair enough we we had over the break we I had a little bit of, of a dilemma because I wanted to pick LSU and then I realized well we were breaking it down I was like even though they're the, the divisions in the SEC between the east and the west were like well which division was better in the best conference and it's like well I gotta go with the, the, the east because it was it was the better division and even. that's
1: the last game we gotta pick here Tennessee LSU so you went with Tennessee
2: I did go with Tennessee so here's how the flow chart would have worked it's like are you in the SEC yes both these teams are do I like you I like LSU better but the problem is it's like at the same time, Tennessee's division was better. So that kind of offsets my ability to 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 pick LSU. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Tennessee. It's really, really tough. I, I hate going against my flow chart a little bit, but I'm, I'm going when balls. lsu
1: wins then we know that it was because you opposed the flow chart
2: yes whenever lsu does win then we'll truly know my flow chart works and we should never even look <laughs> at any other system or mathematical equation to figure out who wins games some real storylines
1: here ut swept lsu in the regular season on only a combined four runs so they won on a combined four runs they they, they definitely scored more than that but the difference is in all those games was a combined four runs other storylines here, uh, Maneri called UT's crowd back then when they played each other a nasty crowd, and Tennessee's getting this place sold out. And you would imagine a lot of LSU fans are going to be there too, but then again, Tennessee might be I mean—might be crowding them out.
3: You saw the chaos after that walk-off home run.
1: Yep. This is also Maneri's swan song at LSU, possibly. If he were to lose, this is it. I think it's going to be an entertaining series. They were a fun regular season matchup, even though LSU did get swept, but it wasn't convincingly. I think you'd say. UT's been elite all year, though. I don't think there's a reason to if, doubt that now other than I just said that there's not a reason to doubt Tennessee.
3: If I'm not mistaken, I believe Tennessee walked off twice against LSU as well. Okay. Do and
1: you, you, who are you taking this
3: week? I'm taking Tennessee. I just don't think LSU's that good.
1: They're I, not that good.
3: They're just not. And yeah, like you said manary he's on his way out this is a great feel-good story how but long
1: can emotion carry you when you're playing a team as elite as tennessee
3: apparently it can
2: carry you to the super regionals 10 and 16 on but, can your yeah.
1: but can it carry you past that it can get you to at least that point but can it get you to omaha because at some point you will run into it's not like they're running into virginia if they got dallas baptist draw and they were playing virginia i'd be like yeah send them to omaha but they ran into a top three team in baseball. When mm-hmm. they're playing at their best, they're just as
3: Tennessee, good as anybody. Tennessee is so good this year, and I think they'll get it done pretty pretty handily. I
2: wonder if Tennessee's comfortable, focused, and having fun and is a dark horse for the Heisman as well. <laughs> well I
3: know, to me, it's not Liam Spence. It's Ryan Bliss. So.
1: On the other side of this break, we are going to give you our top two wide receivers in the SEC for 2021. You're listening to On The Line.
0: On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up the Thursday edition
1: of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Also, you can watch the show on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Before we wrap up the show here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Mel Gibson and Danny Glover starring Lethal Weapon 3 on AMC at 7. How much more difficult can the missions be at this point without actually being impossible? Mission Impossible Fallout is on FX at 7. A pair of comedies is on Paramount with Role Models at 6 and Forgetting Sarah Marshall at 8. If you really need a good laugh, Kevin Hart's stand-up routine Let Me Explain is on VH1 at 8. In live sports, the Brooklyn Nets cruise to a 39-point victory over the Milwaukee Bucks in Game 1 to take a 2-0 series lead. The series switches to Milwaukee with the Bucks in need of back-to-back wins. Game three is on ESPN at 6.30. Barely getting past the Clippers in game one, the Utah Jazz look to double the series lead against LA in game two at nine on ESPN. The NHL playoffs have just one game on television with game six between the Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights. Colorado's season is on the ropes as the Golden Knights have a 3-2 lead. Catch game six at eight on NBCSN. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Got about seven minutes left in the show until the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack coming up on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama, as they do every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. Lance and I are going to give you our top two receivers in the SEC for 2021. We've done our top five so far. It's been a couple segments, though, since we have given you five through three. So let's go back through it. My five, Wandal Robinson at Kentucky. Four, Jermaine Burton at Georgia. And three, Keishawn Boutte at LSU. Lance, who's your five through three?
2: Five and six are interchangeable for me. I had Kiers Jackson at five. Anaya Smith just right outside of that top five at number six. Number four was Traylon Burks. Number three, Dontario Drummond. And now we are sitting at our top two. Give me your two. Number 2 is Keishan Boutte from LSU. You had him at number 3. I've got him at number 2 and simply because I think this LSU offense is going is going to sh- focus more on passing the football this year like they did last year and they've got two quarterbacks on their roster that can really do that in Miles Brennan and Max Johnson and Keyshawn Boutte was able to record some really impressive statistics as just a freshman. 45 receptions, 735 yards, five touchdowns, 16.3 yards per catch. Really, really talented receiver, has at least two more years at LSU. I think he's a top five candidate this year, and he may be the best. If John Mechie declares for the draft this season, he may be the best receiver in the conference in 2022.
1: My number two, Traylon Burks, and I don't know how Arkansas, with as abysmal as they have been at their quarterback situation prior to Felipe Franks, I do not know how they stumbled across a receiver as talented as Traylon Burks. But Traylon Burks, Lance, you put a lot of emphasis on PFF's rankings. They ranked their top 10 receivers in college football, and they got Traylon Burks at four. I've got him at two, and honestly, like I could put Boutte here at two, and, and Boutte probably will end up having a more productive season on paper, just statistically, than Traylon Burks. Last year, Traylon Burks, not hindered by the fact that Arkansas was a 3-7 and seven football team, that he was really the only good receiver in that receiving core, and a big part of that is because Felipe Franks is a solid quarterback and he did it at Florida. He did it at Arkansas. He was good enough to get him the football this year. We don't know that about KJ Jefferson yet. And I think he can be good, but I do believe that you'll at least see a production, uh, a production drip or dip, excuse me, a production dip for Traylon Burks this season and and only a small one, but it's going to be enough to keep him out of the top tier category of elite receivers so maybe I would even switch boute to two but I do want to talk about Burks here for a second last season 820 yards receiving 51 receptions 6.16.1 yards per reception and seven touchdowns and that Arkansas offense that only averaged 25.7 points a game last year he had according to pro football focus 7.6 yards after the catch And he broke nine tackles on those 50 receptions in 2020. So about a fifth of of the time he catches a football, he breaks a tackle and adds more to it, which is a pretty high rate there. So I love it when he gets the ball in his hands. That's a big part of his 16.1 yards per reception. It's him being able to extend the play after he gets it in his hands. It's more than just him being a physically domineering receiver and being able to make plays and actually catch the football in one-on-one situations against defensive backs. It's what he does after those receptions I love that about him but the problem is and a point that Terry made in a phone call earlier a lot of it's who's throwing in the football and now we know about Traylon Burks now the rest of the SEC knows about this talented receiver it's going to be all about Traylon Burks in this offense teams are going to focus in on him and a lot of times when you see a freshman quarterback step into this situation his first year playing KJ Jefferson what do you see you see a quarterback kind of have a crutch receiver they focus in on one guy who was Bo Nix's crutch receiver both years. Seth Williams. Exactly. And did that make Seth Williams better or worse?
2: I think it made him better.
1: I think it hurt him this past season.
2: Well, statistically, it made him better
1: that's fair because he's going to get more targets but I, I think it hurt him. yeah I
2: think that's a fair point yeah I and think
1: also they get you know it contributed to possibly some injuries throughout the year too because if he got banged up in the Georgia game it's just it put too much on Seth Williams yeah I think that's fair and and but I also see so your point it does help you statistically if you're getting targeted more but also I think you get targeted more by opposing defensive backs other teams know that they can Center in on KJ uh, on KJ Jefferson's favorite Target Traylon Burke so that could hurt him unless Traylon Burke's really that good to be able to overcome that I just think you see a lot of brackets a lot of bracketed coverages you're going to see safeties shadowing on that side of the field Burke's going to have a hard time really getting going this year at, at times I I could really see that against the better defensive backs in the in the in the conference
2: can I go ahead and give my number one go for it at number one and I, I kind of gave it away just a couple of minutes ago but I've got John Mechie as do I as do you Mechie just barely missed a thousand receiving yards last season and the guy in front of him was a Heisman winner.
1: And had 1,800 receiving yards. There's only a, so
2: much to go around. And Jalen Waddle for a few weeks. That's a, right. And Jalen Waddle. 16.7 yards per catch, six touchdowns, 916 receiving yards. He's going to be the best receiver on this offense, no question. Alabama's going to find ways to get him the ball easily, 1,000 yard receiver in the SEC this year. Book it. He's the best receiver in the conference.
1: I don't deny that whatsoever. Junior now as well. He's getting to that upperclassman range. This could be another first-round draft pick. I imagine he will be. That's the big thing there for John Mechie. The counterpoint that I'll say this is, and Bill O'Brien is a great offensive mind, how much of a shift do we see in the scheme at Alabama this year? Can Alabama and this coaching staff scheme John Mechie open in similar ways that Steve Sarkeesian did for the previous receiving core? because Steve Sarkeesian made it mighty easy on those receivers to get open.
2: He really did, and whenever you look at the receivers outside of John Mechie, you're talking about Traylon Burks not being able to get go- going because they're going to have bracketed coverage and they're going to really focus in on him. Slade Bolden is the number two returning receiver on this offense, and Athlon has him listed as a starter. I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen, but John Mechie is going to be the number one receiver, and they're going to focus in on him. how How much does his production truly increase if there's going to be a shift or a scheme shift? I still think he's going to be the number one guy, but there is reason to believe that this offense could shut down if Mechie shuts down.
1: The other thing that you brought up about there being other receivers that you have to focus on, there are other receivers in Alabama that you have to focus on. You can't just focus on John Mechie because somebody else will torch you. And that kind of allows these guys to just run free and do whatever you want when you got as talented in receiving corps in Alabama. And this is the start of a new one. You, you lost Devontae Smith. You lost Jalen Waddle. You lost all those great receivers that all went in the first round. It's the start of a new great receiving core in Alabama. That's it for the Thursday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow to wrap up your work week. Stay tuned for The Drive with Bill Cameron. We'll see you tomorrow.